step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You've heard about it, you've read about it, you've talked about it, and now you've found it. This is Alan Smith's Ask the Trucker Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world, with your hosts, Alan and Donna Smith, focusing on driver health, careers, regulations, and the important issues facing the industry. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Ask the Trucker Live begins right now. All right, and good evening, everyone, and welcome back to Ask the Trucker Live. This is our Saturday night trucking topic show where we discuss the most uh, concerning topics in the trucking industry. I'm Alan Smith, along with Donna Smith, of course, and it's October 1st, 2016, and our show this evening is Solutions to Improve and Increase Truck. took center stage when New York truck driver Jason Rivenberg was uh, murdered as he parked at an abandoned gas station and his widow Hope Rivenberg uh, brought the truck parking crisis to the forefront lobbying for the bill Jason's Law which was eventually included in Highway Authorization Bill uh, also known as MAP 21 to ensure more safe truck parking. So tonight we'll be discussing how everyone, all sectors, are involved in the solution of the truck parking shortage. That includes drivers, shippers, government agencies, both state and local, truck stops, private sector, uh, even the general public. And most importantly, our guest tonight will be explaining the roles of everyone, what is being done, and how drivers can make the biggest impact by understanding these roles. So we all know truckers are frustrated. They keep hearing that truck parking is going to be addressed only to find themselves one more time out of hours with nowhere to park and we all know the problems which exaggerate the already existing truck parking problems you and you know what they are the hours of service and running out of hours the ELDs which enforce the HOS the hours of service rules and waiting at docks waiting at shippers and receivers and where you can run out of hours and then not being allowed to park and now with speed limiters being a real possibility uh, it could it could only get worse. So tonight we want to share not just the problems leading up to and increasing the parking shortage, but understanding the progress to know who is being a part of that progress and the plans to resolve the shortage. So uh, our, our show this evening is it's not a blame blame game show. We're not here to blame this 
particular person or that group or agency or organization, but rather we want to understand what each one is doing and how you as drivers can actually be a major part of informing and educating those who are in the position to do something about the shortage to make sure they become active in exercising their position to uh, solve the problems. And uh, our guests tonight are two of the most active and knowledgeable uh, people regarding the long-time problem of the truck parking shortage. And first, we're, we're very fortunate and happy to have Nicole Katakitis with us. And Nicole is currently the Deputy Director for the Maryland State Highway Administration Office of Planning and Preliminary Engineering. And she manages the Data Collection and Performance Division that is comprised of all data collection and mapping uh, data uh, governance and technical services and innovative planning and performance management. And uh, she also managed and did much of the analytical work for the Jason's Law Truck Parking Survey Report, which led to the National Coalition for Truck Parking, which we'll be de uh, also be discussing during the show. So we also have one of the uh, uh, very first initial crusaders for Jason's Law, and that would be Desiree Wood, and she is the founder of Real Women in Trucking, which is a, a, a 501c6 organization, and she has worked side-by-side side since 2009 with Hope Rivenberg, the originator of Jason's Law, and of course a widow of Jason Rivenberg, and again, Jason's Law for more truck parking was named after Jason as he parked uh, at a abandoned gas station, like I said earlier, so... You know, let, let it be known, it is because of Jason's Law that we are even having this show this evening, as Jason's Law brought the national truck parking crisis to the forefront. So let, let me just read real quick to you the part in the two-year MAP 21 Highway Bill of 2012. It says, Jason's Law was established to provide a national priority on addressing the shortage of long-term parking for commercial motor vehicles on the national highway system to improve the safety of motorized and non-motorized users and for commercial motor vehicle, uh, vehicle operators. Specifically, Jason's law requires the U.S. Department of Transportation to conduct a survey and comparative assessment in consolation with relevant state motor carrier representatives. That is right in MAP 21. So it's going to be a great show, great guest. We'll take a short break, be right back, and of course, if you'd like to be a part of the show, we'll try to work you in as good as we can. You just have to call 347-826-9170, and if you'd like to come on, just press 1 on your keypad, and I will know you're there. So hang tight, and Acid Trick Live, we're going to get rolling here right after this quick break. Hang on. You're listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith on Blog Talk Radio. Don't go anywhere. Alan and Donna will be right back. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here. Have you been driving a big rig for a while now and considering starting your own business as an owner-operator? Well, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing offers the best lease purchase plan in the industry. With a small down payment and monthly payments around $1,000 or less, you make the monthly payment, and when the final payment is made, they hand over the title. It really is that simple. 
There is no big balloon payment at the end, and secondly, the truck is yours, not a lease plan under one trucking company. So if becoming an owner-operator is your goal, do it the right way. Do it the best way. Contact Lone Mountain Truck Leasing on the web at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free at 866-512-5685. That's LoneMountainTruck.com. This is Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at askthetrucker.com. Now, back to the show. Office of Planning and Preliminary Engineering. She manages the data collection and performance division that is comprised of all data collection and mapping, data governance, and technical services and innovative planning and performance management. And prior to this position, Nicole was the freight performance program manager for the Federal Highway Administration, managing efforts to study freight performance, grow the practice of freight performance measurement, and develop new data and tools. And she designed the freight formula program that was presented in Grow America proposal by the president and formed the base of what Congress passed in the FAST Act. And she also managed and did much of the analytical work for the Jason's Law Truck Parking Survey Report, as I mentioned earlier, which, of course, again, led to the National Coalition for Truck Parking. And prior to FHWA, Nicole was the director of the Maryland Department of Transportation Office of Freight, overseeing multimodal uh, freight policy, planning, and performance, and the operations of the state-owned short-line railroad. And Nicole has also served as a rail and freight planner at uh, the Maryland DOT, a regional representative for planning and economic development for the Georgia Department of Community Affairs, and as a logistics manager in aircraft production for the United States Air Force. She has an MA from John Hopkins in policy studies, several certificates in continuing education hours in logistics, railroad engineering, and community planning, and it's all but this dissertation for a PhD from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County in public policy with a concentration on urban policy and planning. And Nicole Katsuketis is one, our first special guest this evening. And, hey, Nicole, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and spending some time Saturday with us. Oh, absolutely. I'm really honored that you've asked me to uh, join your show. I'm excited to talk about truck parking. Well, this is such a – oh, and Donna, you're the, Donna's here too. So hey, you Donna. Hey, Nicole. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Great, great. Hope you're well too. Well, you know, this truck parking, it, it's such a big thing and been going on for decades. And, you know, we, we – we, um, why don't you just first start? Just share with our listeners what your what your role is with the state of Maryland as far as freight movement, and then uh, specifically truck parking. Sure. Well, again, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I think truck parking is one of the biggest national problems we have in transportation today, and um, I'm glad to see that you know with the national coalition, uh, we're we're moving forward and focusing on it as we should. 
Uh, my role uh, within the state of Maryland, uh, the position that I have now is with the uh, State Highway Administration, but we're all one MDOT. So um, we and I oversee a lot of data collection and performance activities, but specifically we have freight. So I have um, staff that work on freight issues, uh, highway freight issues, but also multimodal freight issues. And one of the things that they do is work on truck parking and how we can improve truck parking in the state of Maryland. So we do a lot of truck parking counts, um, try to understand where truckers are parking, where they need parking. Um, we are um, look, uh, looking for opportunities to improve on parking. We've done some work on that, which I can talk about later if you like. Uh, we're also looking at more opportunities in Maryland. We developed a couple years ago an emergency truck parking app so that truckers going through the state of Maryland during um, hurricanes or storms or weather winter events or other emergencies can find uh, good parking at some areas that traditionally aren't parking places like park and rides or other safe havens. Uh, and we're looking to expand parking at other locations throughout the state. And we're working with the I-95 Corridor Coalition on uh, um, uh, an, a, a technological option for finding like some sort of app to find good parking in the state. So that's um, all of that uh, falls under my division at State Highway. And um, I've, uh, I'm a huge advocate of the need for truck parking and ways in which we can try to resolve it. So my division is working really hard to advance that in Maryland. Well, um, as we understand it, you were uh, and and I like to welcome everyone listening. I didn't get a chance to uh, write down all the states on my uh, board here, but I got Maryland, Delaware. Uh, Missouri, Colorado, Texas, New York, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Oregon. That's about as far as I got, but appreciate everybody tuning in. But, oh, wow. Nicole, as we understand it now, you were you were very involved with Jason's Law when you worked for uh, the FHA, so you've actually been involved with truck parking for quite a while. That's obvious. So, um, I mean, to, to keep a sort of a timeline, since so much has gone on since 2009 when uh, Jason was murdered, what – what actually happened to get Jason's law to the forefront, to the forefront of the policy since his passing, and, and uh, can you share kind of what were the results of that? Sure. Well, yes, I did work for Federal Highway Administration, and I was, um, as you mentioned, the freight performance uh, program manager. And uh, one of the things, so uh, after uh, Jason's passing. I, you know, I have to give credit to you guys, to Hope Ravenberg um, and Desiree and everybody who worked really, really hard. Um, you know, there, a lot of people think about things that need to change um, in our government, and they never really do anything about it. Or they set out to do something, and they realize that it's a monumental task. Um, a lot of stars and moons have to align in order to get policy changes sometimes, and you kind of have to chip away at it and work really hard. And I just, um, as I learned about what was happening and, and what Hope and everybody w was doing to try to bring the issue to the forefront, it's amazing. And I just uh, I have a huge amount of respect for that because um, it, it takes a lot of work. So certainly since his passing, the the uh, the work that was done, the grassroots effort to really get changes uh, was significant, and it ended up being part of um, every couple years, uh, Congress has to reauthorize the government. 
um, it's called surface transportation law. And so every couple of years, Congress has to reauthorize the surface transportation law, which gives the government the ability to do what it does to support surface transportation, so highways and transit primarily. And in MAP 21, Moving Ahead for Progress 21, that was the name of the, the bill for the surface transportation that um, had was in work shortly after Jason's passing. And so, um, you know, if you think about it, people work years and years and years to try to get things passed um, or policy changes, especially at the congressional level. But since his passing, right. just in a few short years, um, you guys were able to do phenomenal things to get Jason's Law into the MAP-21 surface transportation law. So it had its own section. And what it did was it required the U.S. government, the Department of Transportation, to um, focus on truck parking, and it required three things. It required the government to evaluate the capability of states to provide adequate truck parking. It required an assessment of truck volumes in each state or truck activity in each state. And it required the government to come up with a system of metrics to better analyze truck parking going forward. And so when that passed in 2012, that was what federal, it, the USDOT and then ultimately Federal Highway was charged with doing. Um, <clears throat> I came on board to Federal Highway uh, in 2013, in early 2013, and at the time that work was being uh, worked on by a colleague of mine that many of you in the trucking community may know. His name is Tom Carney. Uh, he's still with Federal Highway and still working on truck parking issues. So if you participate in the National Coalition, you'll probably meet him. And um, there were so many things that came out in MAP-21. It, it really focused on freight. MAP-21 was really the first time surface transportation really had a high level of freight focus, at, you know, ever. And so it required or actually recommended state freight plans. And it had it said if you want to spend money um, on certain freight projects, you had to have a state freight plan. So there was a requirement, and you had to have a state freight advisory committee. And then, of course, it had Jason's Law in it. So all of these things, and there were also uh, requirements for states to measure the performance of freight, looking at congestion, which is based off of truck data. And so all of these things were in MAP-21, and, and Federal Highway began working on them in 2013. Um, I assume the work of, on truck parking, managing that project in kind of late 2013, 2014, as Tom Carney was focused on truck size and weight issues. Anyway, um, so from that time on, uh, Federal Highway worked and took work that Hope and Desiree and others had done uh, on evaluating truck parking issues among the trucking community. We worked with the American Association of State Highway Transportation Officials, or AASHTO. We worked with American Trucking Association, uh, OIDA, owner-operators, um, NATSO, National Association Truck uh, Stop Owners and Operators, and others, and uh, Commercial uh, Vehicle Safety Administration to uh, look at the need for truck parking and do everything that Jason's Law required us to do. And so that took a couple of years. And, of course, uh, the Jason's Law work came out in August of 2015. Since then, there's been the um, 
the national the establishment at Federal Highway and USDOT of the National Coalition for Truck Parking, and those meetings have been taking place over the past year or so, uh, which is really and the, the the idea there is to really have regional discussions and come up with actual implementable operational or capital solutions to uh, alleviate the truck parking problem throughout the the U.S. So that's kind of a a little bit of a timeline of how things occurred, but it kind of occurred quickly, um, you know, from since Jason's passing. Although there had been a lot of studies that FMCSA and others had done for years to focus on truck parking, but really getting things going um, and getting to the Jason's Law work was kind of quick, actually. Um, and it got in once it got into Map 21, then it um, you know, uh, required the government to move. And then on the FASTA Act, uh, uh, we worked really, really hard to make sure that truck parking – so FASTA Act was the next round of reauthorization. So it was MAP 21 and then FASTA Act. And we worked really, really hard to make sure that truck parking was an eligible activity in the FAST Act uh, so that uh, states and states and regional areas are really where transportation decisions are made. So we wanted states to have the flexibility to spend uh, funds on truck parking projects and not just brick-and-mortar truck parking projects, but ITS-type solutions, which are, you know, apps, um, intelligent transportation systems, um, uh, technological notification, that sort of thing. So it wasn't just brick-and-mortar. Oh, you're you're on mute. I always do that. I remember in um, in 2000... uh, 2009 when this all started and uh it was uh you know it was it was quite something i mean just i think the the inspiration you're right it was a grassroots but i think the true inspiration of it uh was watching um hope rivenberg and uh with with two uh with a two-year-old and two uh infant newborn twins um just relentlessly going to Washington, and of course this was all on her dime, but it meant so much to her. And when you see that kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, inspiring actions, you, you can't help it. You know, you, you just it just was a movement uh, unbelievable. And, and then, you know, of course I can't say enough, you know, everything Desiree did, and it was a national thing. And oh, one thing I do want to say, because you said you, you're very surprised it was, you know, such a short time. But <clears throat> I remember when we start, when we all started, when Hope, you know, was going at it, it was like, wow, that's great, but it'll never happen. Yeah. And <laughs> and you're right. It's because to get laws changed, you're right. It's not that easy, uh, but. You know, everybody and, you know, there's there's thousands of people that called in on those national call-in days. And um, it, it was it was just a, a beautiful thing to watch, um, you know, evolve. So um, I, I'm still, you know, thrilled that, that this was being able to be accomplished. And then and then you have the next phase, which was um, a lot of, you know, there's always naysayers. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, so there's Jason's law, but, you know, nothing's going to happen. Uh, so what? And all that. So now we're in the next phase, which I'm so, you know, happy that that you, uh, you're you here to, to talk about it. And Desiree here is here to talk about it, who goes to all the national coalition meetings. And uh, tell those people, no, that's not true. Things just take time. But there's a lot of progress uh, going on, and that's what we kind of want to share tonight. So I, I just wanted to, to, to say all that, and um, we really appreciate people like you who okay. are doing so much uh, for, for the drivers because that's what it takes, not just from the drivers themselves but from outside people who actually in, in government agency who actually understand this is a problem and we are truly empathetic to you. So um, oh, our you. gratitude is with you. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, let me ask real quick, and then I'm going to bring Desiree on, too, because this is kind of a part two question for her, too. I I found her way, I had to scroll way down, but there she is. But um, what, you know, there was a Jason's Law survey, and uh, which was actually was required in MAP 21. But from your viewpoint, Nicole, and then I'm going to bring Desiree on here, too. So what, what did the Jason's Law survey tell us? I mean, what? Was there any significant findings? Mm-hmm. Well, so Jason's law, I guess, and I have to, and let me just put put it back out there. I'm no longer with Federal Highway. I, I, um, I, I went there for several years, and it was a great opportunity. But I, I left to go back to MDOT because it's closer to my home, and I have two kids, and it was just, and I got a really nice position here with MDOT, so it it all kind of worked out that way, and um, commuting to D.C. is a challenge. So I just want to say I'm no longer with Federal Highway, so I can't speak for Federal Highway, but I can tell you my experience, and so this is just me talking. Um, When I did the results and and we looked at the analysis and the data that came in, um, I don't know, you know, on the surface, I think to the trucking community, I don't know that anything was really that much of a surprise because you all knew that there were major truck parking challenges and you've been advocating that this is a problem for a very long time. I think what was uh, really kind of what the most significant finding actually of Jason's law that really needed to be put out there the way and come out the way that it did was that states have a very different understanding of the truck parking problem than the, what's actually experienced. And you guys might say, well, duh, you know, we we know that. But I think um, if you put yourself in the shoes of a bureaucrat. Um, who is working whether for the federal government or the state government, and you are tasked. You know, I know people think that, um, you know, what, I, I hear all the time what people think of government employees, but the reality is uh, you're. You're, you don't have a lot of money, and, you, and you're trying to do a lot of things. So you're working on – so for me, I was working on Jason's Law, performance measurement, um, federal policy, and all kinds of stuff. So it wasn't just the only thing that I had to do. So 
um, you know, I think it's a lot of state people are in the same boat. People who do freight work at the state level, uh, people who focus on truck issues at the state level aren't always just focused on truck issues. And so truck issues compete for our attention uh, with lots of other issues, congestion, transit, uh, port stuff. So it, I think that's important to keep in mind is just how much competition for a bureaucrat's attention uh, some of these issues get. So I think when it was so stark that there's a map in Jason's Law, and it shows the responses from states who said they had a truck parking problem or not. And you can see that it's um, it's kind of like those states that said they had a problem are colored in green, dark green, and those that said they didn't have a problem are colored in light green. And if you look at some of the states that said they didn't have a problem, but then you look at some of the responses that came from the trucking community, and, they, and there's truck parking problems in every state, including Hawaii, uh, then you can see there's something going on here. And I think... Just from being the person that did the analytical work and, and presenting this to leadership at Federal Highway and USDOT, that was so eye-opening. And it doesn't seem, maybe to you all it might not see, it seem eye-opening, but for people um, who are working uh, in the government like this, when they saw that map and they saw that states, like you know, I think Ohio was one of them and a couple others that have a lot of truck traffic, we're saying, you know, we don't have a truck parking problem, but yet we were hearing from you all that there is one, and we were seeing the congestion in these states. That was a real eye-opener, and I think that it was that moment, really. I remember sitting in meetings. It was really that moment that um, was like, wow, we really need to do something about this. because, and And it was like, wow, states don't have the resources to understand this problem. They don't have the the you know the focus on this you know what can we do to try to get more focus and that's really where the idea of we've got to have you know some sort of dialogue and and then this national coalition was born and then these ideas about including truck parking and fast came about we had a lot of discussions about what data we would need and so a lot of that went into what met the metric section of jason's law and how Federal Highway wanted to encourage states to better measure truck parking and to try to understand what data would be needed to understand the truck parking challenges. So that's, um, you know, I think... And they had to do that, right? Yeah. I mean, that wasn't a choice. (laughs) No, it wasn't. And so, and also uh, Federal Highway has to, in a a couple years, they have to periodically update the Jason's Law data and the idea is that, and that was the other finding, when we went out to survey states to ask them about the truck parking issues in their state, the only mm-hmm. consistent data that we could get were the number of facilities and the number of spaces. That's it mm-hmm. for public right. public facilities, publicly owned facilities. And so that was very eye-opening, too, because hardly anybody had good utilization data. And if they did, maybe they did it in, in 2005, or maybe they did it in 2010, and it wasn't something they were doing every year. Um, they also, you know, couldn't tell you, you know, the, I think, and there was also an interesting disconnect between what law enforcement was reporting, because, for example, um 
states said one thing, but law enforcement, uh, when they were interviewed, uh, said, no, there's a lot of illegal truck parking um, because truck parking places are full on these routes, but states didn't report that. So we knew that we needed to engage in a dialogue, which is why we started the National Coalition and, and why a lot of states are participating, or all of states are participating in that now, because we saw those disconnects, and I think that that's really the most significant thing, um, the, the most significant finding. But And if you talk to states as to, well, why is this? You know, why is there a disconnect? It gets back to that, well, there's competition, you know, among issues. You know, okay, I have very limited resources, and my budget's getting tighter every year. What do you want me to focus on? And right. we also don't have data, so we were, and I'm still working in my role at Maryland DOT to try to improve on the data that's available. Um, trying to work with um, the trucking community to, uh, we use probe data through the American Transportation Research Institute, which is ATRI, which is the research arm of American Trucking Association. And we've been using that. Uh, Federal Highway has and states have been using that data. We're not tracking any trucks. We're not tracking anybody's business, but we are looking at where trucks are getting stuck in bottlenecks and how we can alleviate that. And that has actually been working well. We're starting to look at where trucks are are overcrowded at parking facilities so we're looking at these probe data which shows up on a map and we can see where trucks are parking you know on ramps and things because there's no spaces you can see it it, it um, uses data it gives you a gps signal that you can map and it lights up you know I'll look at all the trucks there it's completely full and then there's overflow that kind of thing so we're, you know, we're not trying to use it in any type of punitive way. We're trying to use it to figure out where where we have in huge tr- challenges and where do we need to uh, grow parking? Where do we need to add spaces or work with the private sector to add spaces? So that the you know the data, not having the data. I mean, we're starting to get more of it, but not having um, as robust data as we'd like is a challenge too. So. There's a lot of issues that, you know, are. it's not that states don't care and it's not that states don't want to do anything. It's just that getting those resources has been a challenge. But we're working on that, and I, I really feel optimistic that in a couple of years uh, we're going to have much more robust data. But I think you're starting to see states do much more for truck parking this year than ever before. Well, let me, um, that's very interesting, especially that disconnect, um, which you said is probably due to, you know, they're, fi- they're competing with funding and truck parking is just something they probably shrugged at, like, well, there's so many other things, only because uh, they weren't aware of the seriousness of it, I'm, I'm assuming. Um, but I wanted to ask you, and um, I know Alan's going to open Desiree's mic up for, uh, to come in on this, but... Uh, I, I, did you get to look at Desiree's survey with all, I mean, it was an unbelievable survey, <laughs> the analytics on that and the question, the answers. Were you able to read any of those answers from those drivers? Yes, we did. And, and the the responses there were real similar to a lot of, because we also did a survey uh, that um, ATA and OIDA sent out to their members uh, as part of the Jason's law. So we, we took the information that Hope and Desiree had provided. Uh, then um, we also directed a survey. We, we got um, 
let me back up a little bit. We pulled together a working group, and um, since it was a national uh, study like it was, we included the national organizations um, that we typically, we Federal Highway and USDOT had typically worked with. Um, so we had the Hope, uh, the Hope and Desiree's work, and then we um, pulled together ATA, OIDA, NATSO, um, ASHTO, which represents the states, CVSA, and then we had, um, you know, our internal people, FMCSA, uh, FHWA, and USDOT personnel, and we got together and we designed surveys. Uh, so we, just as part of that effort to, um, you know, we went back out and we surveyed everybody kind of consistently. So the information that we saw in um, in Hope and Desiree's work was very, very consistent with the feedback that we got from the trucking community through ATA and OIDA. And I believe uh, between ATO, ATA and OIDA, we got over 8,000 responses. I'd have to go back and look, but we got over 8,000 responses. And a lot of the information was, was very consistent. So um, we did... Uh, uh, I think, uh, if I remember, the first part of the report acknowledges uh, the work that had been done, and then uh, we we talked about the responses from the trucking community in the report. Okay. Yeah. I. Oh, it was. I mean, it, you couldn't just sit down and read it all in a day. I remember, you know, and a lot of people are overwhelmed when they they see all those responses. Um, oh yeah. It was, and I also we had. I know she had a PowerPoint that's um, you can access, right. and so we use that. And uh, I, I know I personally uh, worked with that uh, a lot. I spent a lot of time looking at that, and then all the responses that we got in. I, I actually did the data crunching for a lot of that. So I did um, a couple of different uh, methods for trying to glean the information, did uh, word scans, you know, to pick up like how many times congestion on I-95 at, in Baltimore was, was uh, mentioned. And you know, so we tried to apply some different analytics since we had so many responses, but uh, I did, I poured through most of that data um, wow. and, and ran the analytics as best I could for the report. And you 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 did it for all the surveys. You said, oh, Ida had their survey, and um, who else had one besides uh, Hope, Desiree, and Oida? Well, um, so the ones that Oida and ATA and that so those that came out of us. So Federal Highway, we for consistency for Jason, for the Jason's Law survey, we I mean we relied on information that had already been done, like Hope and Desiree's work, as well as the previous studies that FMCSA had done since I think I think there's one from nineteen ninety eight, um and yes. there were several through the two thousands that we we went back and looked at. Um, but for uh, for the survey that we had to do for Jason's Law, since we were, we, we for consistency, we went back out and we designed surveys for each. We tried to hit each group, and like I said, we worked with the national. Since we were the na- since we're at the national or federal level, we worked with the national organizations that um, you know that the, the the most I guess the most obvious ones, and. Um, 
and designed surveys for them, and they they were conduits. They sent it out to their members and uh, mm-hmm. got us back the information. So I believe we set up like a survey monkey type thing, and they were able to um, get that link out to their membership. And we did get about eight thousand. Um, in addition to the work that had already been done by you guys, um, the, the work that the survey that we did generated an additional 8,000 some responses from the trucking community. But we had yeah, specific survey surveys. Monkey, that's what we used too for that. Yeah, it's a, a good tool and lots it of is. analytics. Yeah, and we had specific surveys for, so we made one for the state. You know, like they obviously couldn't all be the same, but um, we made one for the state, which uh, was a, a big spreadsheet that it asked. It had all kinds of data columns, and it said fill in as much as you possibly can. And that's and it had, like, questions on utilization and funding and maintenance costs. And that's where, you know, I saw that most states – could only tell us the public facilities and number of spaces and only like a handful, I think I could count on one hand, could actually give us some utilization information. And that's, so that, that, that's a big gap that going forward, I, I, I hope Federal Highway and states through the National Coalition can close. I hope we can get better data on how truck uh, parking facilities, both public and private, are being used. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, listen, let's, let me take a quick break. We'll bring Desiree on. And, Nicole, you can catch your breath because we've had you talking here for about 40 minutes nonstop. <laughs> so, and when we come back, uh, Desiree Wood, founder of Real Women in Trucking, is going to uh, join us and uh, talk more about this uh, big survey she did in 2012. And we're also going to get into uh, the various agencies that's all involved in this truck parking issue and uh, water roles and what you as a driver can do and who do you contact so a lot of information coming so hang on and we'll be right back heads up truckers are you looking for deals on trucks trailers parts or equipment or maybe you need to sell something truck related Well, there's a great spot on the web where truckers deal with other truckers. No middlemen involved. That's why we call it TruckerToTrucker.com. There's no charge at all for looking. And if you want to place an ad for what you're selling, it's just $19.95. And it runs till it sells. So whether you're buying or selling, it's time to log on and take a look. TruckerToTrucker.com. Check it out. That's TruckerToTrucker.com. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here, and I want to tell you about TruckerLawyers.com. TruckerLawyers.com helps drivers with their legal needs, and they specialize in workers' compensation, trucking accidents, employment law, and other areas. TruckerLawyers.com arms you with important information regarding workers' compensation and your legal rights, and they are also available to help you find assistance for additional legal issues. This includes determining how to get you the best benefits possible for your situation. The website site truckerlawyers.com is a resource where you can learn more about your legal rights as a driver. Feel free to continue the social media conversation by liking them on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash truckerlawyers and follow them on Twitter as at truckerlawyers. Call them to talk through your questions at 1-800-736-5503.
All right, we're back, and again, thanks to everyone uh, hanging on and listening. We really appreciate it. Donna was over here looking at the board, and her eyes got wide, so I sent her <laughs> back over there where she needed to be. So, <laughs> listen, our, our guests this evening are Nicole Kasakitis, and she is the Deputy Director for the Maryland State Highway Administration Office of Planning and Preliminary Engineering. And our next guest here is joining us now is Desiree Wood. She is the founder of Real Women in Trucking and uh, has been on the uh, – trail of this uh, issue for uh, all several years now. So, hey, Desiree, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us this Saturday. Hadn't talked to you in a while. How you been? I've been doing good. Hi, everybody. Can you hear me? Yeah. Just talk loud because it's a little it's a little distant, but we can hear you. Um, I know okay. you just came back from your big uh, charity uh, run. Um, yeah. How you feeling? Huh? <laughs> tired a little tired but i'm okay so okay. Um, well i appreciate you coming on knowing you had a you know you went through that and i'm later on in the show um you know we could talk a little bit more about that in the cruise but i was just seeing how you were feeling yeah well yeah, glad I'm to have okay, you and, I, uh, and i was just gonna say nicole you know your uh your mic is still open we have you both on but before before the break that ray i know you heard you know we were talking about you know, your survey and everything in 2012 that was done prior to the DOT survey. Uh, let's touch on that again a little bit. And, you know, tell, tell everybody listening again, you know, what, what, did your, what did your survey discover? Anything, anything extra about the parking problems? I mean, it was like Nicole said, it was such a huge, uh, huge survey. Tell us, uh, you know, tell us more a little about that. Well, first I want to thank Nicole for coming on because sure. – um, I can't tell you how gratifying it was to meet her in person. And I, I think even just talking to her on the phone for the first time and her knowing about us, <laughs> because sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, we we never really knew if anybody could hear us. And maybe we were just like five people just making a lot of noise and nobody ever heard us. <laughs> and to meet and go and, and meet somebody that like has that, um, resume and they're like yeah that makes it you know it makes sense and what we, she was just talking about with this disconnect with the states because it was so frustrating when you're out there seeing it visually and then the survey results were coming back and it wasn't just you it was all these people with the similar experiences and then like why isn't anybody doing anything can't they see this is urgent so to have her bring that part um of the puzzle in and say the states were reporting something completely different. You're like, okay, we have a major problem here to connect the dots (laughs) of communication. (laughs) So um, that was, um, you know, when I first got access to the survey, it sort of landed in my lap in a strange sort of way. And it was I, it was very stressful for me to read the comments because in the raw data, there were drivers that left extensive comments um, in one section in the open end comments at the end. Some of the stories were so horrifying of what individuals were going through on the road. I, it was it was really hard for me to read it day after day. I mean, it it actually made me sick to know mm-hmm. how many people had been in these horrible situations and had never had an outlet to tell anyone before 
um, trying to capture all of it in a small package was a real challenge and um, and I think that we I think we did a pretty good job but there were so many stories like every time I'd get through some of these open remarks I'm like people need to read this <laughs> people need to read this but you know when you have like thousands of them you're like okay <laughs> you know uh, I mean what what do I do with all of this um, and and at some point you have to put it down and co- and say okay yes we have a major problem now what and right. and and then and then now what is is where we're at right now is one finding out that um a part of our resource you know the states have a totally different understanding and so you have to go there and and you have to educate them and advocate for yourself and obviously there's other groups that are advoca- advocating for themselves at the same time and there's limited resources available and I think that's what I learned from it is that there's other groups that would like to draw funds out of these limited funds that are available and they have advocates and we haven't really ever had anybody from our community going yeah but what about us <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and right and, and it's, we're like, it's the, the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease let's face it Right, and, we're late uh, to the game. <laughs> well, plus yeah. two, you know, like you said, uh, funding. You know, a, a lot of these people, you know, they have they have uh, allocated uh, uh, funding for for lobbying and and you know whatever they need. And and as advocates, you know as well as we do, um, you know, funding is something. You know, we rely on donations, um, sponsorships. Uh, things like that. So, and then in your organization, of course, you know you do have a membership, so uh, you could get a, a, a membership drive going, which which would help for for all your advocacy and all these trips. You know you're doing to uh, the National Truck Parking Coalition meetings uh, because you know they can get kind of expensive too. So, but uh, as far as getting the word out, that's it's pretty much it, you know. We 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 rely heavily on social media, which, by the way, Desiree, um, number one, I think what did you have? Uh, we got about four or five thousand on that survey, monkey. Um, was that about what we got back? The drivers that took about that four, survey, yeah, about so it was four thousand. I couldn't remember if it was four thousand yeah, or five thousand. And the, and social media was really like the whole magical thing of the entire right event you know if if there wasn't social media none of this exactly. would be happening i don't you know um, I don't how think. i found out about hope was i was doing my own thing on twitter and trying to share my story that was on you guys' blog about my situation and because it was such a novel thing that there was a truck driver on this new thing called twitter and it was a girl I got mm-hmm. a lot of followers really quickly, and they would always ask me trucking questions that I really didn't know anything about. I was there only primarily about my issue that was being written on your blog. So the next thing I knew within two or three months of me being on there was people were asking me about a number of different things, and one of them included a murder of a truck driver 
um, named Jason Rivenberg and asked me, what do you think about this? Is there, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I was like, I don't know. And, and I know who that was. It was Linda Gowen from Appomattox News in Virginia. She since don't, doesn't, um, not associated with that um, little newspaper, but she was the one who wrote that um, article. I don't know if you remember, it was called um, Dear V. Dot, Sincerely Trucker Desiree. And that was really the first article anybody wrote and I took pictures of some oversized um, trucks in Virginia that couldn't park at all on the shoulders that couldn't get in anywhere to use the rest area facilities. I took them very early in the morning and I gave them to Linda and she used those and she wrote this thing. And, and then another um, outlet picked up that story and then more people started asking me questions and we started tweeting people in Virginia and talking to them about truck parking so they actually started sharing our tweets and they weren't even truck drivers and that's really how the whole thing started going is we started getting people on Twitter who lived in Virginia to start sharing the story and the story about Hope and the story about Jason and talk to them about truck parking. So when it came time for the survey, we had mobilized really some people that weren't even, they were just in social media that had had developed a relationship with us. So that was sort right. of a real magical thing about it was that I do believe we were that's true. Mm-hmm. winning over like one person at a time in, in different states because of that Twitter activity. And that's how we kind of mobilize the whole movement. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Even the the national truck parking surveys that we called on, and it went all through Facebook and Twitter. And it, it uh-huh. was, social media it took the place of lobbying for us uh, going yes. to Washington. And uh, Hope actually went to Washington lobbying, uh, knocking on doors. So, it was it was really, you know, it's a wonderful thing when you look back, you know, you feel like, wow, this is great, but now there's so something. much more. Yeah. yeah. It, there, then some, you kind huh? of, we kind of took like three layers off the onion, but there's still an onion. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And now we're at that next stage with um, the, the National uh, Truck Parking Coalition, which, you know, is, is – People, a lot of people aren't even um, aware of what that is. I mean, you know, you can f- kind of figure it out by its name, but it, it, it's actually here. I think I have. Uh, I'm just going to read it for a minute. Uh, it was created by the U.S. Department of Transportation's Federal Highway Administration to address well-documented shortage of truck parking across the nation. And the first group was November 2015, and it honored Hope Rivenberg. Um, it was, it was, uh, I think, a pretty emotional thing actually that day to the recognition. So, um, uh, you know, I don't know, Alan. I know well, you've got me, a bunch of notes, so I'm well, going to let you oh, take no, it I'm over. Oh no, I'm just sitting here thinking. Let Let me just ask Nicole real quick, and this will kind of feed into um, a conversation we had planned to have with uh, with Desiree also. But Nicole, let me. Uh, You've rested long enough now. i got to pull you back in here. So, <laughs> All right. Um, you know, y'all were talking. They were just, you know, Donna was just mentioning, you know, this agency, that agency. Uh, a lot of times drivers, you know, when, 
when drivers are having a problem, they almost immediately think, you know, we'll go to the FMCSA. You know, and the FMCSA is usually the agency that most drivers will think of first. I mean, there's a there's the FMCSA, there's a DOT, there's there's this agency, that agency. As it relates to this truck parking issue, and you know, we're wanting to uh, help make drivers help up drivers understand if they want to get involved with us, you know, helping with the funds of this truck parking, uh, these truck parking funds for the states and everything. There's so many different agencies. They, a driver could write the greatest letter ever written, but if he sends it to the wrong agency that isn't even involved in that, you know, it's a problem. So can you, for the driver, for our listeners out there, for can you uh, just define the different agencies and their roles so drivers understand how to address their comments and questions and who to address them to? Sure. Well, FMCSA is, is uh, you know, the safety and safety regulatory type agency, and that's their role. Uh, but FHWA is where the federal aid funding that goes to states uh, uh, for transportation projects lies, and they make they they make those distributions uh, and um, have a lot to do with the planning of the transportation system, uh, funding of truck parking projects, whether it's through the new formula funding and the FAST Act that states get directly, or whether it's something called a fast lane grant, which is a discretionary grant program that was included in FAST Act for Freight. And so that, I think, is one of the key things to keep in mind is that, you know, a lot of, um, you know, freight knows no bounds. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of us who work in the freight industry understand that. But um, the way transportation planning and transportation funding has been uh, provided for, for, you know, for years now is uh, through a very, uh, state segmented way. So the funding, there's, um, you know, it used to be that there was a for, various formulas and what um, states were given each year as part of um, the transportation trust fund at the federal level uh, was divvied up by various formulas. All, and I'm, I apologize for kind of getting in the weeds a little bit, but it's important to kind of understand that, that mm-hmm. those formulas were frozen in 2009 at 2009 levels, and so since then, states have been getting, um, uh, you know, their share of federal funds um, based on 2009 ratios. Um, and now, with the FAST Act, some of those funds um, are dedicated into a freight formula program, and each state gets a, a set amount of dollars that they can spend on freight projects. Uh, which include truck parking projects since the passing of the FAST Act. But that, you know, Federal Highway is really where, you know, a lot of the planning, um, the intelligent transportation solutions, the ITS type stuff, the data, the um, you know, and the funding, definitely the funding is, is where that comes from. And so at the state level, that's really, you know, the money goes to the states, and there's a relationship with metropolitan regions. So um, most uh, or all metropolitan regions have a metropolitan planning organization, and those um, are comprised of the counties that are in the cities that are in that 
metropolitan area, like for Baltimore, uh, it includes uh, Baltimore County, Harford County. I mean, a lot of you listening probably don't know what these counties are, but if you look on a map around Baltimore, uh, it's you know pretty much the counties that make up the Baltimore metropolitan region there, and um, it's called an MPO. And so transportation plans, long-range plans, and constrained funding plans are, are set by the MPOs, and they work in conjunction with the states to determine what types of projects are lined up uh, and done, you know, and planned for. I know that might sound a little bit complicated. It is a little complicated the way the relationship with the metropolitan regions and the states is and how they have to report that to Federal Highway. Uh, there's a lot involved. So um, I say all that so you know what, you know, what you're dealing with. For you all, you uh, tr you traverse states, and so you may be based in Florida, but you drive to, oh, I don't know, Louisiana, or you drive all the way up here to Maryland or, or, or something like that. So your problems may not be in the state where you live, uh, and right. um, that's a challenge, I think, and that's something that as a state person who's dealing with freight, I'm working with my other state um, um, counterparts so that we can look at things regionally but um, and try to have some regional dialogues about freight and that was sort of the reason for the national coalition having regional meetings because we were trying to reach truck drivers and people who are traversing state state lines but you know it, it it is a little bit – it is very segmented because that funding is going down to the states, and then they're working with metropolitan regions. But you all are going across state lines and across metropolitan regions. Um, I, you know, all I can say is I encourage you to uh, – there's a couple of, of – you know, there's, I, there's like the I-95 Corridor Coalition, the I-81 Corridor Coalition, and I encourage you, you know, if you're thinking about the routes that you typically drive or the area in which you, the regions in which you typically work, I encourage you to look up the state contacts for each of those states or the corridor coalitions because that's really where a lot of these discussions are happening. Um, I wish there was a one-stop shop for you, and I think in time, you know, we're working. I know my counterparts and I are working on that through AASHTO and through these corridor coalitions, but uh, right now that's kind of how things work. So if you're contacting FMCSA, you should know that a lot of the project and the funding stuff is at FHWA and with the state offices primarily. I so basically in, in, in 2009 there was X amount of dollars, and of course that didn't change, mm -hmm. um, and they were kind of used to that. But now it's better because... Now they have to actually have a freight plan um, uh, submitted each state in order to get these funds, and um, it the, it needs to be in by December 2017 in order to be able to be eligible for any funds. And as mm -hmm. um, and Desiree is probably gonna, I'm probably you know. <clears throat> kind of going over I know what she's going to be sharing with everybody because she's got a whole list but uh, it's up to us to notify these people uh, in our states uh, and that's that map Alan had made last week which it has all the phone numbers and emails and everything but to tell them that 
there's funds available, but they have to include truck parking in their freight plan. And and you know they're going to have a freight plan or they're not going to have any funds. So that was right. a great idea. And the, the second question is, um, and, and drivers, and like you said, if one if a driver is from Florida, but the only time they ever see Florida is when they're coming back home or when they're leaving, um, can they take that map and click on all the states that they run in and get the information, the phone numbers and everything, and, and call everybody who applies to them as far as their difficulty goes? Oh yeah, I encourage. I mean, I know that's a lot of work, and that's you know, you, and who has the time? But if you if you can do it, that you know, other states. I think that's been one thing that I've struggled with as a state planner, is um, you know, unfortunately in in my region, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Virginia, we work pretty well together. We've established good relationships, but that is a challenge of work. You know, getting state people to think regionally, and that's something that people like me and some of my counterparts are really pushing for to try to to try to plan regionally and i think you see a lot of that in the fast act where the freight plans have to be coordinated regionally and projects have to show regional benefit so i think there's a real push among federal and state people to try to get there but you know to the extent that you can reach out and contact people in your region in which you operate um the more that state people who are doing freight stuff hear from you and, oh, yeah, okay, so they're not right here in Maryland, but they, they're out in New York, but they come through Maryland, and it's a huge problem. I mean, it, it illuminates things for those of us who are who are working. You know, the more we know, the more we can say to our leadership, um, you know, we, we have huge national bottlenecks here because people from New York can't get through here. Um, and I've heard that before. I've heard that from a, a friend who's a truck driver who told me, he's like, I do not stop in Maryland because there's no place for me to go, and it's such a pain, so I go elsewhere. And, you know, if you think about that, uh, you know, w- the dialogue, w- without getting too in the weeds here, the dialogue that we've been trying to have as state planners, like through organizations like ASHTO and the Transportation Research Board, is that, you know, not having parking and having congestion problems is really a, a problem for our economy. And so we've been trying to make that economic link, and that really is starting to resonate with leadership because, you know, nobody wants an impact on jobs or the economy. So that's something that, you know, we're really focused on here in Maryland and um, taking extremely seriously, and I think the region is as well. But, yes, that's a long way of saying to the extent that you can reach out to the states in which you operate, I encourage you to to try to do that and make the case for, you know, what you're experiencing along your route. Okay. All right. Well, Desiree, let me ask you here, and we'll get you rolling here because I'm sitting here looking uh, at what you – I'm looking at your form letter because, you know, you tried to make it as easy as you could for, uh, the, for the driver to get involved and uh, – uh, your first paragraph says the FAST Act mandates that every state has an approved freight plan and network in place by December 2017 to be eligible for continued use of their freight formula funds and federal FAST lane grants available through the Act. Uh, as the deadline gets closer, it's important that all parties understand the benefits and practicalities of the law. Now, that pretty much says it all, but so everyone is listening. With, the, with these MPOs, the Metropolitan Planning Organizations, 
Desiree, what, what do you think is being done? What are the states and local areas doing? Do you even believe, that, do these MPOs even know and understand that these funds are available? You know, in your opinion, what do you think? I, I don't think um, they do, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Um, well, I want to thank that's, Nicole. And that's why first the all, drivers need to let them know. Yeah, uh, that's why it's important the drivers have to let them know. And Nicole helped right. me. Um, mm-hmm. With this, because we made a, I made a draft with our virtual assistant, and then I, I ran it by her to make sure that my words were right. We were saying this right, so I want to thank you for that because sure. it's a lot to digest. You know, these are all it foreign is. words to us. This is like some different kind of language. So I wanted to make sure, but it makes it makes sense to bureaucrats. That's the thing. They they, they like, oh, there's money left on the table. Does anybody know there's money left on the table? And so that was really kind of the thing that I was getting from here is like, so these people want that money that's on the table, and this is an eligible activity to get money from the table, but they don't know it. But it's not a requirement. And Mm -hmm. I wish it was a requirement. I don't know how it, you know, maybe the, this, came first and then that happened afterward and that's how it went down and now it's our job to educate them and say this is an eligible activity and then get them to say and it's a needed activity too it's a critical problem in your area because they don't know that it's on it's not on their radar so when you Mm -hmm. look at some of these i never heard of an mpo until i started going to these meetings I never heard that right. term. I had to ask Nicole, what does MPO stand for? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And then I learned that they're not just in one in the state. They're in counties. They're in cities. And there's lots of them. So this is like a whole new universe for me to realize that they have these whole departments that are planning this stuff, and they don't know about us, and we didn't know about them. So we sort of well, have our key- work cut out for us. Well, the key thing, I think, for drivers to know is these agencies and all the numbers to every single one is on that map. And um, right now it's in the in the featured article of Ask the Trucker, but we're getting ready to post it as a static map right on Ask the Trucker where people can go over, click on any state, and a list of phone numbers come up. So it's it's going to be very accessible. I'm also going to add it to the uh, show description, Donna, after the show. Oh, okay. What, what, and, and one thing and I, want we'll, to, we'll, I want to throw in, though, about, you know, it, it's urgent to kind of get it done because California, and California put this big campaign out a couple of weeks ago to say, well, we, we, we finished our freight plan, we finished our freight right. plan. They didn't so include it. ourselves in the bl- – they were patting themselves on the back, and they got all kinds of press releases, and there's no truck parking in there. There's no truck right. parking in their completed freight plan. So we didn't know that we should be educating California about it being an eligible activity, and nobody else educated California about it, or they didn't advocate enough to get them to know this is a really serious problem. So it was really... Um, it was really disheartening to read those press releases from California that they've done all this work. I mean, in my in my mind, I'm going, okay, will they go back and redo their their freight plan now if we 
we can make contact with them. I mean, is that a lost cause? That's a big, huge problem state. I, I don't know. What's the answer, Nicole? I mean, it's too late, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, you know, the, the freight yeah. yeah, the freight plans are dynamic, and so um, they can change and they can be updated. And so it's you know, while they may not have included things that you you would like to see included, it's always worth trying to go out and talk to them, and you know, and get and get on their radar uh, and um, see what because they the freight plans can be updated. They can always be updated, appended, amended. And, you know, we've done that here in Maryland um, a couple of times, so it's possible. Okay, great. That's good to know, Desiree. Um, That's good to uh, Yeah. So basically to the message is to drivers, okay, because there's a lot of overwhelming stuff. And, and once you know, Desiree, I know once you start talking um, and Nicole about the National Truck Parking Coalition and before – main topics of discussion at there, then we're really going to get into a lot of stuff. But for now, basically, you go on that map, you click the states that you have the most uh, difficulty with parking, and a list of phone numbers come up. And um, and you just call that area, and this is the message. Uh, of course, you know, there's a whole... Uh, letter that's written you could read right from the letter if you wanted to it's it's posted but <clears throat> there's funds available for your state for truck parking if you include truck parking in your freight plan and your freight plan has to be uh, uh, submitted by December 2017 or you're not going to have any funds at all for your state okay so there's uh, money available for truck parking, and you guys really need it. So include it in your freight plan. Of course, you say it a lot nicer than that. <laughs> and just, but but that's actually the the whole in a nutshell type of thing. We're really in need of more parking. Your area in your state is a big problem, and there's money waiting for you to fix that problem. I mean, is that it in a nutshell, you guys? I mean, would you say that kind of summarizes it? Nicole or Desiree? Yep. Well, I, was, yep. I was just going to let Nicole say, but I, I think that if you made a phone call, which a lot of us, you know, I mean, are more comfortable making a phone call than an email, it seems like perhaps you could open up a conversation with that and ask them if you could email them some additional information if you could just get their mm-hmm. ear for a few moments and pique their interest and maybe get an okay. email Okay, and what would you want them to name. email? What, what would you want them to email these people? Probably the the letter in its entirety when, when it's revised for, you know, this letter shouldn't be sent verbatim. It was designed to be a, a sample for drivers that couldn't have the t- don't have the time to write a letter, that they could fill in a couple things to personalize it for the area that they're talking about. So um, it's it doesn't it, it doesn't read right when you just like cut and paste and send it to anybody. You know what I mean? You have to put a little bit of effort into a few of the sentences. But I don't think that you could call on the phone and get all of this out of your mouth. 
without somebody going, who is this? <laughs> right, right. Well, I think the letter is good that it's posted because it explains to the person making the phone call, you know, it, it, it gives them an idea of, you know, what they're trying to get across to these people. But to, to make it, you know, this is really one more grassroots initiative from drivers. Yes. So yes. you got the Jason's Laws there, the funding's there. Now it's a matter of educating people within the states themselves that there's a problem. Right. The same disconnect that Nicole was uh, talking about, you know, when they say, ask the states, hey, you know, you have a problem? No. Drivers, do you have a problem? Yeah. Well, you know, even though that they've had to, um, you know, include this data through uh, MAP21 and all like this, when it comes to funding, just like California, they're thinking of things like, you know, infrastructure and uh, whatever is on their, you know, freight freight plan. And truck parking just might not, you know, be ringing any bells. It, it, it may be because it doesn't affect them. They, you know, I mean, and that's sad. It, 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 humanity is kind of like that, though, you know. Well, I would think that, and Nicole, maybe you can answer this better. Are there other things that are get to draw from these funds that maybe have an advocacy group that makes sure they're on the top of the list all of the time when this money gets doled out? Yeah, and that's where it gets, you know, it, 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 that's where it gets challenging. So squeaky wheel is, is truly important. Um, you know, truck parking isn't, it, the funding isn't just for truck parking projects, but truck parking is an eligible activity for the, and you have to remember the FAST Act set aside formula funds. So these are funds that states are getting anyway. Like, I mean, they're, they're getting for freight. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of like that's what they have to spend it on if they have a freight plan and advisory committee. And then there's discretionary funds that they have to apply for, the FastLink grants. And, um, you know, there's, you know, a lot of freight projects that can be done. So rail, railroad-type projects, intermodal port projects, air cargo projects, you know, even potentially pipeline, you know, all these things, you know, are things that states could spend the money on. Um, And so, like, for example, if there's an intermodal facility with a railroad and that's, you know, priority uh, for the state, and they think that that's going to, you know, be a boon to have this type of intermodal facility. That might be something that they would um, want to try to apply those funds for. So, you know, it's really important to illuminate for planners what the, the truck parking need is. And, you know, I think that, again, I'll, you know, stick up for my state planners here. That dialogue is really occurring, and we are all trying to push that dialogue in places like ASHO and Transportation Research Board. But hearing from the trucking community on this is is really key. The other thing, too, is, you know, um, a lot of the – so I know with the trucking community, it's very diverse. And so some of you are owner-operator, mom-pa type, um, or, you know, independent drivers. Some of you work for major companies. Some of your companies are, um, you know, are are carriers. Um, Some of you may drive for shippers. And that's really what, you know, it's helpful 
for the carriers and the shippers, the corporate people, to be weighing in on this as well. And, uh, you know, and that's important to include them in that dialogue and have them weigh in. Uh, to the discussion because you know we you know I know as a as a state planner I certainly hear from the railroads um, I certainly hear from the port companies when something is needed and so to hear collectively from the trucking community is really critical and here in Maryland we do hear a lot from our Maryland Motor Truck Organization and that's always been a good relationship but it's helpful to hear from um, you know the actual drivers or the corporations uh, behind the truck movement as well. Well, I would think that if enough drivers made these phone calls, they're going to start listening. And mm-hmm. that's, I mean, there's there's no two ways about it. So if everybody who, you know, we can share this information and uh, like we said, social media is a great place to share things. If if even 10% of the driving population started making these phone calls, you know, you're talking about almost um, half a million people then at 10%. That's a lot of input, a lot of phone calls, and somebody will be saying, yeah, we need to do this. And uh, unfortunately, that's just the way it is, that it's going to take uh, one more grassroots effort on um, – on the driver's part, of course, you know, the the coalition, and we're going to get into that, has a lot of uh, other ideas. There are other ideas besides funding, although funding is a is a crucial uh, part of it. But I, I thought we could um, get a little bit into that, into the truck parking coalition and, and the other uh, ideas, specifically those four topics that um, – that you know we could we can discuss um alan i don't know do you have any breaks that you need to take or can we get into it do you have any commercials uh yeah i can take a quick our last break here and then everybody can kind of uh, yeah this way i because I, I hate to start something and then yeah. you have to break <laughs> yeah because this is going to be pretty fast moving we've got about 40 minutes and it'll give time to nicole and desiree to gather their thoughts and just a quick break and this is a pretty important message here i'd just like to share with everybody because uh Sleep apnea may be the uh, uh, newest regulation that could be coming next for drivers, so just want to share this message with you real quick. Hang on, and we'll be, uh, be right back. Still a lot to come. Hey, Alan Smith here. Did you know that over 18 million Americans suffer from sleep apnea yearly? And this topic is on the radar with the FMCSA, and unfortunately, some are looking at this as a for-profit venture, not CPAP America. CPAP America was created by somebody who works in the respiratory field and wants to help drivers, not take advantage of them. Owner Ed Frost has been a respiratory therapist for over 25 years. Mr. Frost has also managed 27 sleep labs and currently sits on the New Jersey State Board of Respiratory Care. Ed and his team are looking out for uninsured commercial drivers and those with high insurance deductibles who pay way too much out of pocket while making sure they are fully compliant. CPAP America offers drivers the very best prices in the industry for home sleep testing, CDL compliance, sleep apnea machines, 
and so much more. In fact, any customer who purchases a machine from CPAP America will receive free downloads for life. So call CPAP America for all your sleep apnea concerns at 800-569-0167 or visit them at CPAPamerica.com. Have a question for them? You can find them on Facebook at CPAP America and Twitter at CPAP America. You can rest easy with CPAP America. That's 800-569-0167, CPAPamerica.com. All right, we're back. Uh, now, Donna, this uh, we've got about, oh, 30 minutes or so and everything, and we want to get these coalition meetings. I know I know Desiree's been going to, uh, to all of them. She, uh, you know, may not want everybody to know, but I think it's important that everybody understand that she uh, – she does this out of her own time, out of her own pocket, and she travels these meetings. And the next one is October 5th, I believe, in Grain Valley, Missouri. But I'm just going to turn it over to you, Donna, and because uh, this is important information too. Let's get it rolling. Okay, um, and and this this is for for either of you, but I really wanted to let our audience know more. What exactly is the coalition doing? They want to know the progress, the ideas. And um, because I, I think it gives people hope that, you know, there, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Okay, they know now that they can call up and tell people about funding and then get that rolling. But what are some of the other things? And, and I know there's, a, there's four topics, uh, pretty much the car- parking capacity expansion, the funding, um, uh, technology, and um, what is the last one, the regional and local uh, government, uh, That pretty much what we just kind of went over now. So um, I'm going to let you guys just take it over to uh, inform our listeners what's going on uh, at the coalition that they could really feel like, wow, it looks like things are really moving. Who first, Desiree? Um, well, okay, Desiree, you want to you wanna start? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been. This is going to be my fourth meeting. Um, well, it would be five. The first one I met um, Nicole in Washington D.C. when they said they were announced they were having these four meetings. But these these four meetings are like work groups, um, mm-hmm. kind of brainstorming sessions in these four areas that you mentioned: park, park, parking capacity expansion, funding, technology, data, coordination with regional and local governments. So the first one in Salt Lake City, really not very many people attended, and and I was the only driver there besides a gentleman that did oversized. So that was um, really the first point that got illustrated is that, um, you know, I mean, and people have donated for me to be able to travel. I've taken a lot of time off of work for all of this, and there's so many people that that see that this is a big issue and they work full-time, but they don't take the time to come. Joyce um, Hibma came, who's a spouse of a truck driver from um, Washington, where they're having a big problem in North Bend. She took her um, bonus money from work, and she traveled down there and met and went. This woman had a book of data and aerial photographs and documentation from her community. I mean, she's a true advocate, you know, and she or she's going to bat for everybody. There were some really um, awesome things that came out of Salt Lake City. There were some contour maps that were shown 
that um, really you could see how much work um, these people had done at the Utah um, Trucking Association and the uh, one gentleman that used to work in the rail industry, I think his name is Daniel Kuhn. Uh, um, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. He had this contour and map where he could explain that no matter where we started out in Southern California, we were going to get stuck somewhere in this region of the I-15 corridor. And being a driver myself and being in a lot of different types of detention issues, problems in Southern California, he was so right. I mean, they did such good study on this. If they did that on every major interstate corridor, you could really zero in on the problem areas where truck drivers um, get stuck with nothing, you know, and I'm running out of my 11, whether you got And, and isn't it ironic that California, isn't it ironic figures, California didn't put truck parking in their freight plan? Okay, go ahead. I won't interrupt again. Yeah, and but, you know, and there, so when um, Nicole was talking about having relationships with her um, states that are close to Maryland, it's it popped out to me that there were some states that did not come. So there was a guy from Washington DOT that came to the um, Utah meeting, um, but there was nobody from California. And and California figures prominently in this whole equation. Um, There's some states, uh, every single meeting that I've been to, that's where my ears have been really like, who's here from state DOT offices representing? And it's been very small. It's been a very small number. It has been nice to meet people that are from some of these coalitions that are working with many states because then it gives you some hope that the information is traveling um, through these coalition states. But there's still a lot of states that are are not there. There's still a lot of law enforcement that's not there. There's still a lot of um, shippers and receivers that could have been invited that didn't go there. So sometimes it makes you feel like you're having a a meeting about this really important stuff and half the – people on the invite list didn't even bother to come or RSVP or give a re, you know a reason at all why they, they weren't there when they're, they should be guests of honor at this table. Um, there's a lot of good ideas that have come out of this, creative use of right-of-ways and pathways um, to existing services um, in the Salt Lake City meeting chain-up areas and installing pit latrines, which is something that we see up on Donner Pass where they the train up areas are used for a certain period of of the year for the winter but in the spring and the summer they're available if you because there's nowhere to go in sacramento once you come down um 80 into um, california there's nowhere to park so a lot of drivers stay up there and um, there's other areas that that kind of idea could be used it's not an ideal situation but any sometimes any situation is is something and that's a re- really regional idea because you don't have that kind of space availability and you don't have that kind of weather conditions in some states where they're like, what do you mean? Chain- What's a chain-up area? So when you go to these um, regional meetings, you really start hearing people that don't even understand what's going on um, uh, a couple states away. Um, the drivers are really, the, especially the over-the-road drivers, are really the only ones that know how this stuff can work, how it won't work, um, why why it could work. Um, we talked about imminent domain right-of-way. We talked about um, impeding interstate commerce when states don't want to work with you at all. I mean, that's kind of a strong-arm thing, but 
some of these towns are very resistant, even when you say there's money available, there's a need, you know now, and they say, well, we still don't want you here, which is sort of what's going on in North Bend, Washington. That's a real big problem. We talked about the funding earlier, but we also talked about this new thing for paid parking. We talked about a designated fuel tax. We talked about tax incentives, um, deferment, abatement for shippers and receivers that would have a bullpen, a staging area. Um, and then there was some kind of uh, apprehension from some stakeholders that it should be a level playing field. If you're going to give them these kinds of benefits, then we should get it too. Why should we expand if they're getting that? Um, coming out of uh, all of that, I have seen improvements in some states since all of this has gone on. I live in Florida. I've seen on the toll road here, there's a lot of truck parking expansion um, on the Florida Turnpike now. It's nice. It's clean. Um, it's quiet. But not everybody uses the toll uh, road. You know, some do, right. some don't. But going across the country, I mean, the biggest winner that I'm seeing is Love's Travel Stop. They're building all over. They're building well. They're well-designed. They have a lot of turning radius. They're not doing the pay for pecking yet, to my knowledge. I'm told that they are not going to do that. I'm seeing them spring up all over the place. And then you have the other two big chains that one's got a lot of parking, but they're really in disrepair, and they in my opinion, tend to have a lot of crime. And then you have the other chain that's traditionally very small, very much, you know, get them in and get them out of here. Um, they, they, um, those, two, those two players could do a lot better um, in, in this as a partner, in my opinion. Um, the technology and data with the signs, we talked a lot about that. A lot, there's controversy. I see how they are very helpful in some areas. They've helped me um, in the Pennsylvania, New York area, being able to estimate my time. But I didn't understand that some drivers saw those signs and said, didn't understand that there's sensors in the ground or whatever. That the, those numbers are they don't stay that way, you know. There was a lot mm -hmm. of misunderstanding with those signs, and I didn't even understand that the drivers were misunderstanding those signs. I do see a value to those signs. Maybe they, they, maybe a lot of money was spent for them and it didn't create any uh, additional truck parking spots. Yes, that's true. But information um, communication to the drivers is a really big thing. And I, one thing that I brought up in, at the Utah meeting is I know of a, a really wonderful place to park um, the truck. But if you go through there at night and you don't know the area, you won't on this very dark, dark, dark highway on I-70. You'll park on the shoulder because you ran out of hours. And then when the sun comes up in the morning, you'll be like, oh, my gosh, that was a big, huge place to park right there. I couldn't even see it. Um, there's a need for lighting and communication, especially when you have as many student drivers being turned through the system that we do. You have a lot of people out on the road that are only in the business for six months. That means you have a lot of people that have no idea where to park all the time, and they don't are not familiar with communication that senior drivers use, seasoned drivers that have been around for a long time. I remember being out on the road, 
just over a year, I, you start remembering little hiding spots. So if you've been on the road 20 years, you know a lot of hiding spots. But if you've only been out mm-hmm. there for a couple months, you're scared to death because you are getting run down to the last minute of year 11, and you're just like, stop right here on the shoulder. And, you, and everybody knows it. it you, you know the names of those companies. There's student fleets lined up on the, on right. the shoulder. Um, well, let me ask you a question now. You, I believe you said that um, there weren't any shippers and receivers who showed up, or did you say they did show up? At Maryland, Unilever came, and one well, of the drivers they have a wonderful project. Bring, right, they do. And Tyson Foods, who um, one of our our members works for Tyson. Tyson lets outside a carriers park on their property, so we were trying to get our um, our member Janet to the the Utah meeting, but she wasn't able to get there in time to talk about Tyson's policy. But so far, Tyson and Unilever are the only ones that I know of that like go above and beyond the call of duty to let the drivers, you know, accommodate them. And we would we took a, a shippers and receivers list that came out of the first Jason's Law survey there of the problem shippers and receivers and and sort of redesigned the header and said, you know, these are the ones we still have problems with, and these are the two winners down here on the second page, you know, Unilever and Tyson Foods, you know, like help us make this list, um, you know, be on the winner's list, not on the, the problem carriers. And that list is extensive. There's so many shippers and receivers that could be doing better. And, and helping out with this problem because, as Tom um, Kearney says at the meetings, the government can't pay for everything. There's more people that have to be involved in solving this problem. You you can't expect that the government's going to be able to solve all of this with their limited budget. And you know, so. well, I, what it amounts to is people have to care and be concerned. Um, when you when you have a um, uh, a shipper or a receiver who uh, detains a driver for eight to ten hours, and then they're out of hours and says, pretty much, um, well, too bad you can't park here. Uh, then, I mean, what? <clears throat> at that point, you know, how do you get them to say, I care? Gee, what can we do for you? Um, Either to me, the answer is either you st- you you have a better system, a more efficient system of getting people loaded and unloaded, or you say, okay, if we're so many hours that you have to wait, then we're going to accommodate you. I mean, that to me is just the logic. But um, mm-hmm. so I mean, Nicole, do you have any ideas, you know, about that of? What can be done about that, or Desiree, either one of you? Um, go ahead, Desiree, if you you're if you want. Well, to I play. I do. I don't I don't think anybody really likes this idea. But this is my idea about it. And I actually saw a lawsuit that I posted on that Truck Parking Coalition page maybe two months ago. You know, if you put a, uh, in the in the bar business, if you serve somebody and you're the bartender, and they leave and they have an accident, um, you could be, not only can they be in trouble, but the bar can be in trouble, and the person that serves them can be in, in trouble. It's called the Dram Shops Law. 
And in my opinion, the trucking industry, here you have these hours of service that are mandated by the federal government, and you have a shipper and receiver that's going to throw you out on the road and not let you park when they know that you are um, you have to comply with these federal hours of service. And I think that they have to be held liable. I think they need to be educated that they have some um, liability and some responsibility to the drivers that they've brought on their, their property in this way. And so I've talked about this a couple times, and then I saw an actual lawsuit that happened, and I posted on that Truck Parking Coalition page where a law firm actually said that. They said if uh, a truck driver has left your property, you could be held liable. Now, I didn't get to read the entire case because it was a locked, you know, you got to pay to get it. But so if this is something new and this is something coming, I think it's really interesting. And, it, and, it, and unfortunately, that's what it takes sometimes for people to go, oh, yeah, <laughs> perhaps we right. change our policy. <laughs> So, so um, we could replace empathy with not being sued. Um, yeah, and if, I you mean, know, that's whatever the truth works, of the right? <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, sometimes that's what that's what people go. Oh, yeah, okay, um, let's fix that. And I think that you know, when you start talking about e-logs coming and all of this other stuff, you, you're going to have to start getting aggressive. You can't just sit around and think, oh, well, they're going to realize they're going to do the right thing. They're going to see that we need it. You know, they're going to know. You have to You have to sometimes educate them in a very aggressive way, and that, that's my opinion um, on, on that one. I wish you could do it in a nicer way, and, and maybe with some companies you can. Maybe there's just not enough companies that anybody ever sat down with them and said, hey, did you know this was a problem and that you are on this list as one of the biggest, offenders maybe somebody Mm -hmm. upstairs does not know maybe they're completely not aware um that's possible but it still takes a lot of us doing some sort of public service announcement or um, education um i i don't think that we can count on a lot of the big organizations to do it for us because they haven't in the past i'd like to see that change one of the topics that came up Um, at Maryland was that the rail industry has campaigns to educate the public about how they operate, yet the public rarely interacts with the rail. But they have a really good campaign to educate people about being safe around trains, safe around rail lines and stuff. They do a lot of great infographics and, um, I guess, commercials and things I've even seen on a truck trailer um, they should have more of these truck trailers. It's a picture of a train, and it says you wouldn't cut off a train, would you? That's a great trailer, mm-hmm. but I've only seen one of them. They should have a, a, they should have thousands of those out there. So our industry kind of drops the ball in educating the public about our our um, our people in the industry, and we need that to humanize drivers because. If you don't humanize the drivers, it's hard to have compassion for them. And getting out and meeting the public, for instance, me going to this event today, which is a community thing, and them going, oh, you're a, you're a truck driver, you know, and then they want to talk to me about trucking. And they're people that are, they don't see themselves as being 
can relate to truck drivers, you know. I think we always make a mistake when we only want to associate with ourselves. When, mm-hmm. when there's really a golden opportunity to um, socialize with the community and every every opportunity you have to educate them about truck drivers, the work that we do, how you serve America, and then go, did you know about this issue with truck drive, truck parking? And they're like, I never thought about that. That totally makes sense. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's part of educating the public, and um, I think uh, Nicole and, and I had had a conversation about that. If mm-hmm. if the public knew that drivers weren't weren't resting properly, and it was interfering, I mean, they're so worried about safe drivers and putting regulations more and more regulation. Regu- all the regulations isn't in the world isn't going to replace. Arrested driver, Alan. I think you wrote an article about two years ago about that. What was it called? The best regulation is sleep, or, or I forgot what you what you called it. But the idea was you cannot replace adequate sleep, and if the public understands that, um, maybe it will hit some kind of bell, you know, in their head will go off. Um, another thing I just wanted to bring up uh, also, you you, t- you spoke about the uh, uh, the hours of service and they run out of hours at the shipper receiver and they, you know, they, they tell you you can't park here and maybe they should be liable. But let me ask, uh, and this one is more for Nicole, as far as the FMCSA goes, um, now, they are the ones that establish hours of service and, you know, ELD, speed limit, all the, all the regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how are they reacting, or has this been brought up to them, and I'm sure it has, uh, that um, what, what do they feel needs to happen if they have these regulations set, and now there's, there's, uh, either not enough parking, not adequate parking, or that the shippers and receivers are not allowing people to park. Um, I mean, y- you see what I mean? In other mm-hmm. words, they, they establish a regulation, but there's no way to be compliant if there's not enough facility to handle the regulation. I mean, wh- mm-hmm. how does that go? Well, I, I probably am not the right person to weigh in about FMCSA because I never worked for for FMCSA. Um, All I can say is that they were a willing partner in everything that we were doing for truck parking. And we had a lot of discussions about how, I mean, that's kind of like the the basis of policy analysis, like, well, how does this impact everything else? And, you know, uh, I think that that would be a really great topic for, you know, another show if if you could get somebody from FMCSA to come and talk, uh, you know, about where they're coming from. Uh, but it's okay. definitely a balance. I think that's that's challenging for people, you know, at the government level. How do you balance safety, the need to do something for safety, you know, um, and and keeping everybody, you know, compliant with with the impacts that those policies have on everything else. So I'm probably not a really good person to answer that, but I can I definitely appreciate what you're saying. And I know, you know, as we 
as as we look at things that we're doing, you know, at the state level, we you know we we always try to do a real thorough policy analysis to see all the impacts. Okay. Well, I, I I just wanted to bring that up because the reason I wanted to bring it up because I know every single driver listening tonight is thinking of that. So sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I know you can't answer it, but you know, we we want you to know that we we understand that that's mm-hmm. an issue, and and you're right. Perhaps that does need to be a show um, with someone from FMCSA who wants to, you know, discuss that. Well, um, I, I think we're starting to um, wind down here. What are some important things that um, maybe you'd like to end with? Yeah, I'll just, it's just kind of winding down here. Desiree, any, any, uh, any final comments here real quick, and then we'll get some comments from Nicole, and uh, we could go on for hours more, but we're just kind of winding down. But any final, final comments here, Desiree, you want to make sure we get out to the listeners? Well, I just want to encourage drivers to learn how to take action on a local level for truck parking. Um, it's not all about a couple people doing it all for you. It's about all of us taking a little bit of action where we live, where we travel, where we can. Use this map. Um, use this letter. If you need help, ask us for help. What we need is all hands on deck to help us. This last meeting is at um, Grain Valley, Missouri, at the OIDA headquarters this week. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there with Hope Rivenberg. It's a huge milestone for us to be able to to go there, um, uh, this journey that we've been on. But it's certainly not done yet. And um, I'm just really grateful that we've met Nicole and she's helped um, teach us how we can go on and start going to the next level and getting an, in touch with our MPOs using the map you made. Alan, thank you so much because, you know, I know we're all weary. It's it's um, this has been really hard, and it, it takes more than four or five people. So, pe- drivers, if you're out there, look at that MPO map. Get like you know, make a pledge, three or four people that you're going to take action on. You know, we got 50 states. You know, mm-hmm. pick two. Because even if you make one <laughs> phone call a day, you know, or <laughs> for each state. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, and again, like you said, Desiree, so everybody understands that that form letter on the website is, is, you know, is just an idea. Give you an example, you know, give them a a sample, like you said. They can write whatever they want, but just kind of maybe help feed their ideas. If you have something else you want me to throw up there, you know, I'll be more than happy to. Um, But it's just an idea to kind of get things cooking. But all the all the contacts. For all the MPOs across the 50 states are, are there, you can get to them. So, uh, Nicole, how about how about you? Any final thoughts, anything that you wanted to get out that maybe we didn't get touched on? Oh, sure. Well, I really want to thank the both of you for this opportunity and that we can be connected. I think social media is really powerful, and, and I'm really inspired by everything that you're doing. really like to thank Desiree. I'm so impressed by her, and I really appreciate all the kind things that she said. Um, there's a, a, a million kind things that I could say about her and, and the things that she's been doing and her dedication and that of uh, Hope Rivenberg. Um, it's been I've been working for government for about 20 years years and I've never uh, met people who made me feel like you know my work matters more so I really appreciate that um, and I encourage 
drivers to, uh, you know, I know it takes a bit of work, but you'd be surprised. Just chip away at it a little bit, and then all of a sudden that policy window is going to open. And, you know, we're working on it. People like me, my counterparts, um, uh, the Transportation Research Board is another place I encourage you to look and see the kinds of things that, you know, we're doing from a research perspective. And that, you know, we're really pushing this issue, and I think I think things are changing. Um, but, you know, to the extent that we can hear from you, that's always helpful for us. And, um, you know, I, I know I work for the state of Maryland, but I know who who's where, so if you ever have any questions, I'm more than happy to answer them. You can always uh, reach out to me. I'm easy to find if you if you Google Google um, Google me, and um, where I'm sure you can get my information from the from the blog spot. But I'm more than happy to connect you to the right people. But uh, you know, I encourage you to just you know try to reach out. Um, keep your eye on things that are happening at the state and local level and, and you know put out your experiences on social media and send send those experiences to people at FHWA or people at your state or in your MPO. Well, we appreciate it and it's always good I think for drivers to hear from, from you know someone like you who is in the government who is you know in this industry transportation and actually hear that you know you are you do listen to them you do hear them so i think that's very Fine. important too but right you know because a lot of them don't think that but here you are saying that yes you do so and we've had many others tell us the same thing so i really appreciate you coming on on a saturday and uh, spending some time it's a really good show a lot of information and you were right because during the show i was googling your name and i found you very easy so anybody oh, can good. do it so <laughs> well thanks again i really appreciate it Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. You bet. And Desiree, thanks for all your work and uh, let us know, you know, how everything in Missouri goes and everything. I mean, I don't know how you do it. I just think I'd just drop over if I had to do everything you did. I want to. <laughs> I want to. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to let but you go so you can get some rest and everything. So appreciate good, Good talking to you again. And uh, thanks again to Nicole Kasakitis of the Maryland State Highway Administration, Desiree Wood of RealWomenInTrucking.org. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will catch you uh, next time. And let's not forget how all this came about. So we're going to leave you from a song with the When the Big Real Wheels Don't Roll, uh, written by David Ayers and Barry Allen, how it all kind of st got started, performed by John Johnson. You'll be hearing Say a Prayer for Jason. So good night, everybody. We'll see you next time on Ask the Trucker Live. You've been listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. On behalf of Alan and Donna Smith, AskTheTrucker.com, TruckingSocialMedia.com, NorthAmericanTruckingAlerts.com, Blog Talk Radio, and Ask the Trucker Live. I'm J. Michael Collins. Until next time, drive safe and thanks for listening.
But for seven dollars he lost his life With nowhere to rest in between his loads He was shot to death on the side of the road Say a prayer for Jason Say a prayer for Joshua and Hope Say a prayer for all the truck drivers Stuck out on the road Just say a prayer Say a prayer Say a prayer They say accidents are rough Cause of driver fatigue But states keep closing their stops When they know that's what we need You can't find a place So you're stuck for the night So you park on the road And you risk your life I don't know about you But it makes no sense to me If they'd pass Jason's law You'd have a place to sleep Say a prayer for Jason Say a prayer for Joshua and Hope Say a prayer for all the truck drivers Stuck out on the road Just say Jason's law in his name and he didn't die in vain no he didn't die in vain say a prayer Jason say a prayer for Joshua and hope say a prayer Out on the road, just say a prayer, say a prayer, say a prayer, say a prayer for Jason. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.